Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. In the early 1980s, before the internet was in our homes, there were only so many ways a person could find pictures of naked people. As the child of a sculptor, I had an edge on my peers because of the books of nudes in my dad's studio, which had been mostly normalized by my parents as an okay thing to find in a middle-class household. One day, when I realized that my genitals had more in store for me than expressing urine, I looked past my dad's art books to the magazine racks of certain convenience stores. This was no small stunt, either. Many stores closely policed access to periodicals, especially the premium-priced men's magazines, and I was clearly underage until I wore contacts and began combing my hair straight back instead of parted to the side. They spoke of it first in whispers. Enter a chance encounter with Bob Guccione's penthouse, which was more explicit than Hugh Hefner's Playboy, but not as aggressive as Larry Flint's Hustler, and that's when my awkward, embarrassing, and typical turn from naivete into adolescence was firmly enthralled with the editorial habits and aesthetic standards of a strange man from New York City. Imagine my delight then, circa 1984 or so, when I discovered that Guccione had once put his fortune on the line to make a feature-length movie some several years before I'd discovered his magazine. Here's the pitch. Gaius Caesar Augustus Germanicus or Caligula, as he is better known, was the last of three Roman leaders in the line of Julius Caesar, and he was reputed to be crazy. His reign was short as was his life, and his name is now a shorthand for decadence, sexual deviance, and cruelty. No treachery could equal his evil. No evil was more treacherous. The movie, first released in 1979 and directed by Tinto Brass, begins in A.D. 37 when Caligula, played by Malcolm McDowell, enjoys an incestuous relationship with his sister Drusilla, that's Teresa Ann Savoy. As successor to Tiberius, played by Peter O'Toole, the younger man grows impatient and murders his elder, thereafter presiding over the near dissolution of the Roman Senate, a failed invasion of Britain, and frequent orgiastic festivals. He also marries a courtesan named Sessonia, played by Helen Mirren, grants his horse a political office, has a baby daughter he calls a son, and is eventually assassinated by his minions longing for stable leadership. What's left out when summarizing the movie's plot in this way, however, is its almost total departure from good taste. Not that a more sober aesthetic is required. Not that bad taste isn't also a value towards which cultural creations can strain. Caligula's main problem is a lack of control. It gets lost in the idea of using a biopic to translate psychosexual fantasy when the movie's target demographic is either interested in the meat of bodies in flagrante delicto or something more aesthetically powerful, as in Brian De Palma's roughly contemporaneous Dress to Kill from 1980 which has all the sophistication and exploitative brio that Caligula lacks. Produced for something in the range of 15 to 17 million dollars, more than what was spent making Ridley Scott's Alien from earlier in 1979. The picture was initially developed around a queered story world, courtesy of screenwriter Gore Vidal, 
whose script explored the dynamics of power through the figure of Caligula, which pointed backward to the biblical spectacles of the 1950s like Ben-Hur. that Vidal had a hand in helping write. Because Guccione was disappointed with the lack of explicit material in Brass's original version of the film that Vidal wrote, he added non-dialogue sequences of models engaging in sex. These moments stand out from scripted sequences, and the resulting schizophrenic experience stands in as a metaphor for Caligula, the historical personage, since Caligula the movie is both ridiculous and titillating. Still, then-contemporary audiences looked upon the resulting spectacle with yawns and nausea. In an interview posted to YouTube by Mike Gardner, Guccione was asked about the critical and commercial reputation of Caligula and had this to say in response. I must argue with you about it being both a critical and financial failure, financial success, I might say. And as far as being a critical failure is concerned, I don't accept motion picture critics. Leaving questions of taste to one side, let's consider whether Caligula was profitable, which seems silly considering its cost of 15 to 17 million dollars against a box office haul of 23 to 24 million dollars. Let's also remember a rule of thumb. Box office revenues should be halved between the portion kept by distributors versus the portion passed along to film producers. So, in this example, it's likely that Caligula lost money as a theatrical feature, perhaps as much as $5 million. But it is also possible that it eventually became profitable because of the home video boom. Before 1980, a theatrical film would finish its run and with rare exception fade into obscurity, sometimes even literally disappearing and becoming a lost film when the celluloid prints became too brittle for threading into a projector. After 1980, though, a theatrical film might find a secondary audience through a process of selling through to other markets, like home video and cable TV. In this secondary market, a profitable theatrical film could develop a fortune, while a middling performer at the box office might prove lucrative. It follows that a financial bomb, like Caligula, could recoup its costs and end up with a great return on investment if only such a title were well marketed to exactly the right audience. The basis for this transformation of revenue structures in the movie industry centered on the availability of the VCR. Although the VCR was originally a playback device enabling enthusiasts to time-shift TV programming by recording it for personal use, its true commercial success was eventually tied to the rental of older movie titles from the catalogs of worldwide filmmaking companies. In this model, a customer paid a few dollars in rental fees to borrow a movie of their choice, with each copy being watchable dozens, even hundreds of times, before the tape degraded or broke, which is why producers sold VHS copies of their titles at a cost of $90 to $100 to rental outlets and not to everyday people. That hefty price tag of $90 to $100, less the costs of producing each tape, meant that a great deal of pure profit could be returned to the copyright holder of a theatrical movie once it was churned out as home video product. This problem of cost kept me from seeing Caligula for years. As I grew older, and as the once searing issue of explicit sexuality became less worrisome, particularly after watching ratings modifications separate PG from PG-13 and R from NC-17, I nearly forgot to watch Caligula. Cut to a Thanksgiving weekend near my 30th birthday. After a pleasant day of celebration with friends, during which I'd eaten way too much, 
I was unable to sleep, so I loaded a rented copy of Caligula into my DVD player and pressed play. What I realized, after more than 15 years of delay, is that Caligula really isn't very good. Like many older movies, scenes take a while to play out, and the many costumes and hairstyles meant to mimic ancient Rome seem more like the invoked look of desirable people culled from Studio 54 in the middle 70s. Of course, it is a joy to see younger versions of McDowell and Mirren parading naked for entire sequences, spouting whatever dialogue they were asked to memorize. In these moments, it's also fun to daydream about what enticements may or may not have been necessary to encourage their disrobed performances. But a person does lose interest in material that's only purpose is controversy, whether in violence for the sake of violence or sex play for the sake of more sex, and I eventually watched through the end credits only because of a grossly misplaced sense of loyalty to my youthful fascination before finally falling asleep. The next morning, though, I admit... I couldn't shake certain images. There is a scene where a man's penis is tied off so he can be filled with wine and then disemboweled in a gush of blood and grape juice. There is the rape of a virgin bride and the fisting of her new husband. There are incestuous liaisons between Caligula and his sister Drusilla. There are orgies that include ejaculation and penetration. And there is the final assassination which I think is the finest and one of the bloodiest sequences in the film. Were it possible to step into a production meeting with Bob Guccione and Tinto Brass circa 1976, I would have suggested shortening the eventual 156-minute-long movie by half, decreasing the number of arbitrary and explicit pornographic sequences, using a more mobile camera, making explicit the influence of Caligula's madness over the entire story, and letting Sir John Gielgud keep his good reputation by not hiring him at all for a role in the supporting cast. Of course, my suggestions would have been ignored. I'm a square, and my advice typifies the encroachment of a conservative adulthood rather than the appetites of that long-ago teenager who wanted to see whatever Guccione brought to market because Guccione brought it to market. Caligula. No rumor can match the reality. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Boop boopity doo.